Church, it's that time of year when we celebrate uh, Christ the Babe, who is the Lord of all. We see Christmas decorations go up. We begin listening to Christmas music, singing Christmas songs. Today we begin the Advent series as we look into God's Word on this first Sunday of Advent. I want us to look at some songs for Christmas, but these uh, are songs that you're not likely to hear uh, on the radio, uh, but they come from the Divine Songbook. They come from the Songbook of God's Word. They come from the Book of Psalms, the Songbook of Ancient Israel. And each of the Psalms that we'll look at over the next four Sundays has been recognized uh, down through the centuries by the church as psalms fitting for the season of Advent. And so during this season, for Christians, these become songs for Christmas. Let me invite you to open God's Word with me this morning to Psalm 122. If you're using a pew Bible, you can find this text on page 500. And as you find your place there in God's Word, I invite you to join me standing for the reading of His Word. Psalm 122 text reads this way. I rejoiced with those who said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet are standing in your gates, Jerusalem. Jerusalem is built like a city that is closely compacted together. That is where the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, to praise the name of the Lord according to the statute given to Israel. There stand the thrones for judgment, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May those who love you be secure. May there be peace within your walls and security within your citadels. For the sake of my family and friends, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your prosperity. Let's bow in prayer. And Lord, we give you thanks this morning for your word. We give you thanks for your presence that is with your people today. Father, we pray that you would guide us through your spirit in rightly understanding and applying the truths of your word today. May we celebrate you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Church, you may be seated. You know, you don't have to look very far to see trouble in the church. In many parts of the world, the label Christian is downright dangerous. When there are relatively few believers around, people of faith are hungry for Christian fellowship. Where believers are ostracized, they must long to spend time with fellow Christians. But in our part of the world, Christians may face ridicule and occasional attack. But trouble here arises far more often from within the church. Denominational divides, church splits, moral failure among leaders, nominal Christianity. These are common threats to the peace of the Western church today. And broadly speaking, when the church is divided, she is not at peace. And so we need times like this. We need special gatherings, we need special seasons, we need special services where we come together to celebrate our common faith and our commitment to Jesus Christ. In Paul's words, we need to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. When God's people gather, we are celebrating peace with God and peace with each other. 
And for these reasons, we rejoice in the opportunity to gather. God's people rejoice in the opportunity to gather for church. Listen to what the psalmist says here. The psalmist sings, verse 1, I rejoiced with those who said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. You may notice, looking at your Bible, that there's likely a a label at the top of this and some other surrounding psalms, a label, uh, a song of ascents. Which means that uh, it was sung as Israelite pilgrims journeyed up the mountain to the temple in Jerusalem for one of the three required festivals each year. And in that agrarian environment, Israelite farmers would uh, work long days gathering in the harvest. And then when they completed the task of the harvest, they would join together with family and friends and they would journey to Jerusalem to give thanks to the one who is the Lord of the harvest. So when the work was Complete. You can imagine the excitement when family or friends said, we're finished. We're done. Let's get our stuff and let's go. Let's, it, let's go to the house of the Lord and off they would go. After a long journey, they have arrived. You can hear their anticipation and excitement. Our feet are standing in your gates, Jerusalem. In other words, we're here. We've made it. If you had to travel any sort of distance at all to grandma's house as a child, then you know the feeling. You know that that journey never got any shorter. And over time, you began to pick up on road signs. You began to pick up on landmarks that told you you were almost there. And so you would perk up and pay attention and anticipate arrival of family. And likewise here, they're there. They're standing at the gate, at the city gate, perhaps in the courtyard, ready to go in and to worship, gathered with God's people to praise Him. No doubt some of you Alabama fans gathered yesterday. Some of you, no doubt, went to Atlanta, part of a big event, some sort of big game. Others of you gathered in homes with other fans around large screen TVs. When you come together for a big event with like Minded people, there's excitement, there's unity, there's celebration. We know the feeling. And when the church gathers to worship the one and only God, there ought to be excitement, there ought to be unity, there ought to be celebration, especially during special seasons like the season of Advent. One author and scholar, Sidney Gradanus, says this. He says, a pilgrimage to Jerusalem in the Old Testament is similar to our celebration of Advent. A pilgrimage to Jerusalem in the Old Testament, one of these special times of the year where they would go and gather together with fellow believers and celebrate, is similar to our celebration of Advent. There's anticipation, there's excitement, there's expectation. So like with the Israelite festivals, now is a time of worship, commemorating and celebrating a pivotal time in history where God is saved where God has rescued, where God has delivered. For in the coming of Jesus Christ, God saved, He delivered. And ever since, the church has been gathering. Brothers and sisters in Christ have been coming together to remember and reflect and listen and sing of His greatness and His grace. And so because we are Christians, because we are people of faith, and in a risen Lord Jesus Christ, Psalm 122 has become for us, a song for Christmas. 
Listen to how Luke describes the early church in Acts chapter 2, verses 46 and 47. He says, Every day Christians continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. God's people rejoice in the opportunity to gather for church because God's people want to gather and praise the Lord. We rejoice in the opportunity to gather because we want to come together. We want to be with like-minded people and we want to praise the Lord. Let me ask you this morning, what is Sunday morning like at your house? I'd be going to say it's Probably not any more hectic than it is at the Jones household this season of life. I hope coming to church is not a chore for any of us. I hope that we come together because God has done something extraordinary and He continues to do extraordinary things and we are the beneficiaries of it. May we delight in coming together to praise Him. We want to be with fellow believers praising Him. It ought to be a joy because we're alongside like-minded people of faith. Others who recognize that their sin are saved only by the grace of the Almighty God. Their aim, their mission is like ours. And so we join together in song to God. That's what these ancient Israelite pilgrims did. They've arrived. They've made the journey. They begin to look around. Begin to look around and take in the sights and the sounds, the significance of where they are. And the singer begins to describe the beauty of the city, a place of justice and protection, of unity and purpose, and the presence of the Almighty God at the temple. For this is God's city, the city that He has chosen, that He chose to dwell in among His people, Jerusalem. That is where the tribes go up the tribes of the Lord, to praise the name of the Lord according to the statute given to Israel. You see, they've come to worship God in response to His ongoing provision and His obvious presence. The tribes of the Lord go up to the temple, the place of worship, the place where God chose to dwell in a significant way to do what? To praise the name of the Lord. In other words, to declare who He is, His greatness. Who He is and what He's done and what He will continue to do. And of course, there's excitement, there's joy regarding being alongside family and friends. But the purpose of their gathering is to praise the Lord. So why do we want to gather? Why do we come together here Sunday after Sunday? Because we want to praise the Lord. Because Emmanuel has come. The King has arrived. The Savior is among us. And so we gather eagerly to praise the Lord. May we be a people who gather eagerly to praise the Lord. In Psalm 84, hear the psalmist longing. His yearning to be in the place where the Lord dwells. He says, how lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. My soul yearns even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Verse 10, he says, Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. 
Church, may I suggest that if we take the Bible seriously, if we walk with Jesus closely, we must confess better is one day with God's people gathered in His name celebrating the sacrifice of Jesus, the atonement of uh, Christ on the cross, the arrival of Christ in the flesh for us, for our salvation, as a sacrifice for our sin than 1,000 SEC championship game gatherings. And I know what some of you must be thinking. Preacher, that's easy for you to say. (laughs) Not only are you required to be here, this is what you do, and you hope some people show up to hear, but your team hasn't been in an SEC championship game in 12 some odd years, 12 long years, and just just completed this season 0-8 in the conference? Fair enough. You're right. Easier for me to say, yet no less true. No less true. So, Meadowbrook Baptist Church, may we gather eagerly to praise the Lord all the time, but especially, especially during the season of Advent. For if Israelite pilgrims who do not yet know the fullness of the saving grace and mercy and kindness of God poured out on the cross of Calvary could pack up what they had and travel a long distance to be with God's people at the temple where His presence resided. How much more so could we recipients of God's saving grace in Jesus Christ not come together to worship and enjoy the presence of the true Davidic King? He is here. He is here. We are His and we are here to celebrate His arrival among us and His presence with us because of what Christ has done we've been invited in we've been invited to be part of the family we've been invited to be part of the community we've been invited to participate in the pilgrimage and to be the temple of God Ephesians chapter 2 verses 19 and following Paul writes he writes to Christians And here he speaks specifically of of Gentiles, non-Israelites, non-Jews, who didn't understand these festivals, these gatherings, these temple sacrifices for quite some time. And he says to them, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers. You're no longer outsiders. He says, but you are fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In Him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in Him, you too, he says, are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. Don't miss that. To catch that, we are no longer obligated, we're no longer required to go to the temple in Jerusalem to worship. We are the temple. We are the temple. The Spirit of the Lord resides in us. And when we come together in unity and worship, the Spirit of the Lord is especially present, permeating this place, not because of the place itself, but because of the people who are gathered in this place. Because of you and me. Because of believers coming together and worshiping the Almighty God. We need to gather We need to worship. We were made by God to do so and to do so in community. And yet Christian community is constantly under attack. 
So we must join the ancient pilgrims and pray for peace. Pray for peace among God's people. God's people must pray for the church's peace. Must pray for the church's peace. So here the pilgrims have arrived at the place of worship, the city of God. In verse 6, the song leader instructs them, tells them what to do, where to focus. Really the theme of this psalm, he says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May those who love you be secure. May there be peace within your walls and security within your citadels. For the sake of my family and friends, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your prosperity. And so here's the deal. In Jerusalem, Israelites would come together in annual festivals. They would come together. They would sing this and other psalms and they would pray for peace in Jerusalem. They would pray for lasting peace in that city. Its stability and its accessibility so they could continue coming to the house of the Lord. So their religious gatherings and celebrations could go on year after year after year unhindered. So how do we apply this instruction to our lives today? Should we pray for Jerusalem's peace? Absolutely. We should. We should pray for peace in the Middle East, for fighting over religion and resources and land to seize and for the gospel to spread. For, for people to come and and come to know and follow Jesus Christ, the, the Prince of Peace. Pray for peace in Jerusalem. And we should pray for peace in Toronto and Tokyo and Beijing. And for peace in New York and Washington and L.A. But more specifically for us. If we're really going to take the message of this psalm to heart in light of the greater context of God's word. The Jerusalem for which this psalm beckons us, calls us to pray, has evolved, has, has changed somewhat. As our Lord predicted, the physical temple in Jerusalem is, is no longer there. It has been destroyed. And from a spiritual perspective, it has been replaced. The New Testament church has replaced the Old Testament temple as the dwelling place of God. Ephesians chapter 2, we just read it. And so for us to heed the call of this psalm is for us to pray for peace in the church. Let's be people who pray for peace in the church. Pray for peace among God's people. To pray for forgiveness where brothers and sisters have hurt one another. To pray for unity and grace across denominational lines as we unite around the gospel of Christ. To pray for the message of hope in and through Jesus Christ to be a message that is heard by the lost living in Meadowbrook and in Eagle Point, and in Greystone, and in Indian Valley, and Inverness Cliffs, and all the surrounding areas, because of the church's undeniable credibility in their eyes. May we be a people who pray for peace in the church, and may we pray for peace toward the church. Pray for peace in the church, and for peace toward the church. Praying for violence toward the church to end. For the persecuted church in India and in Egypt, in Sudan and Afghanistan and China and in North Korea to subside so that believers there can proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ without hindrance. As the Israelites prayed for their city's peace, so we too must pray for the church's peace. Pray for the church's peace and 
we pray for the new Jerusalem. God's people pray for the new Jerusalem. You see, whereas the old Jerusalem functioned as a temporary city of God for ancient Israel, the new Jerusalem will function as the permanent city of God for Christians from every nation, tribe, and people, and language. And though impressive in beauty, the old Jerusalem pales in significance and in beauty to that of the new. For in his vision of heaven, John writes, Revelation chapter 21, verse 1, he says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the old heaven and the old earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. He says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. He says, then I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and will be their God. Friend, to pray for the peace of Jerusalem is to pray for the coming of the one who sits on the throne. Pray for the new Jerusalem is to pray for the return of Christ. May we be a people who pray for Christ's return. Let's pray for our Savior's return. Let's pray for the second advent. Friends, this world is filled with darkness and danger and depression, and the church is not immune. We know this. But there is hope. Friends, here this morning, there is hope. For Christ has come. And Christ will come again. Christ Jesus will return. He will return and gather those washed in His blood, those forgiven by His grace, into His city. His heavenly city. His permanent city, characterized by its eternal presence with His people. A wedding celebration between Christ and His bride that will never, ever, ever end. Friends, that is where we want to be. That is where we ought to long to be. That is the worship celebration for which we prepare and pray here and now. That is the advent and presence of our God and King for which we yearn and for which we long. And so as we gather for worship here, In the meantime, as we gather for worship here, we must pray for the church's peace and anticipate the coming of the Prince of Peace. As we gather for worship, we we pray for the church's peace and we anticipate the coming of the one who is the Prince of of Peace. I would be amiss this morning if I didn't ask you, do you know the one who is the Prince of Peace? Do you know the Prince of Peace? Do you know this this one who has come in fulfillment of ancient prophecy? Do you know this, this ruler from the lineage of David, this forgiver of sins who is sent from the Father to purchase and provide us lasting peace with God? Do you know him? Do you know him? Turn to the Prince of Peace today. Trust Christ today. Taste of His goodness and His grace. Celebrate His arrival. And then pray for His soon return. Father, may we do so. May we be people who know and follow Christ. And Father, where we are in error, may we repent and turn to You. May Your Spirit convict us. 
Father, I pray for those that are likely gathered with your people this morning who do not truly know you. Perhaps, Lord, they know about you. Perhaps they can tell the story of Christmas. Perhaps they can even point to prophecies in your word. Perhaps they've gathered with your people for year after year, season after season, decade after decade, but they've never surrendered their life to you. Father, I pray that you would convict, that you would draw. Pray for faith to believe. And Father, for each of us, may we bow before Jesus today. May we turn from the error of our ways and may we find life and joy and satisfaction and hope in the coming of Christ. Father, may we turn to you. May we respond in a way that glorifies your name now. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.